podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we're back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we're here to bring you more knowledge, more lights, and more love. Well, we have a legendary guest today. I'm so honored to have Dennis McKenna on the show. Absolutely legendary human being. His contributions to the human uh, three-dimensional reality situation is profound, almost immeasurable. And we have him here. We're going to talk to him. But first, I need you to do something for me. Go to bluecobracbd.com. That's bluecobracbd.com and check out Blue Cobra CBD oil, the highest quality CBD oil on the market. And why is that? Because the extraction method was developed by a man named Howard Hit, aka Big H, and it is called the Hit Extraction Method. It has no chemicals, no solvents. No gases were used to extract the CBD from the hemp. And it's 100% organic, of course, using 100% organic Oregon-grown hemp. And it's amazing hemp. I've seen it. It's a product I personally use daily. You can put it on your body, in your body. I personally put it in my smoothie, my shake drink that I drink for breakfast in the morning. And it really helps with my overall well-being. That's just my personal testimony about it. It's an amazing product. And of course, we do have a Midnight on Earth Blue Cobra CBD discount code. And if you put this code in the box at checkout, you will receive free shipping on any order. One bottle, two bottles, it doesn't matter. You're going to get free shipping. And that code is M. I-D-C-B-D, that's M-I-D-C-B-D, and you put that code in, you get free shipping. I do have to note, though, that this does not apply to international orders, and please check with your local country's laws to see how they correlate with the Blue Cobra CBD product, and there is a 100% money-back guarantee, so if you're not happy with the product, you get all your money back. If you pay shipping, you get your shipping money back and you get to keep the product. You don't have to send it back. Give it away. Give it to somebody else. It might, it might, if it's for some reason it doesn't work for you, it's definitely going to work for someone else. There's an ocean of CBD products out there. You go to your local supermarket now, at least here in America, and it's everywhere. How do you filter out these products to determine which ones are actually beneficial and which ones are terrible? Well, in this case, I've done that for you. I deeply understand the cannabis CBD industry, the hemp industry, and I know all the different products that are out there. So I'm filtering all the BS out for you to show you the highest quality CBD oil that you can currently purchase. Good luck finding anything else like it because they don't have the hit extraction method. They're using chemicals. They're using solvents. They're using gases. No other company out there is providing a product that is created in this way, and it's healing. The health benefits are off the charts for me personally. You know, you tell me what your results are. Email me, and there's a number. You can actually call 
that goes to Howard Hint directly, and you can talk to him about the products. You can ask him any questions, and of course, you can determine if your country can have these products shipped to you. I highly recommend it. Please check it out, bluecobracbd.com. Follow me on Instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth. That is the address. If you go there, follow me. It gets these guests information out to more people. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you go to get your podcast, click that button that connects us so you know when the next episode drops. And of course, the most important thing is to tell a friend Tell someone that you know that loves these type of podcasts that would love to hear me have a conversation with Dennis McKenna. Those people you know very well, tell them about us, midnightonearth.com. Okay, so social media shout out out of the way. I told you about Blue Cobra CBD, and now let's read Dennis McKenna's bio, and then we're going to talk to him. This is going to be so amazing. Here we go. Dr. Dennis John McKenna. Is an American ethnopharmacologist, research pharmacognosist, lecturer, and author who has studied plant hallucinogens for over 40 years. He earned his master's degree in botany at the University of Hawaii and his doctorate in botanical sciences from the University of British Columbia. Since that time, he has conducted extensive ethnobotanical fieldwork in the Peruvian, Colombian, and Brazilian Amazon. Dennis is also a founding board member of the Hefter Research Institute, which was a, or is a, nonprofit organization concerned with the investigation of the potential therapeutic uses of psychedelic medicines and was a key investigator on the Hawaska Project, the first biomedical investigation of ayahuasca. From 2000 to 2017, he taught courses on ethnopharmacology and plants and human affairs as an adjunct assistant professor in the center for spirituality and healing at the university of Minnesota. He emigrated to Canada in the spring of 2019 together with his wife, Sheila, and now resides in Abbotsford. Since 2019, he's been working with colleagues to manifest a long-term dream, the McKenna Academy of natural philosophy a nonprofit organization founded in the spirit of the ancient mystery schools and dedicated to the study of plant medicines, consciousness, intelligence in nature, preservation of indigenous knowledge, and a revisioning of humanity's relationship with nature. Dr. McKenna is author or co-author of six books and over 50 scientific papers in peer-reviewed journals. And really briefly, I want to tell you about the McKenna Academy of Natural Philosophy. Of course, we're going to talk about it more, but here's what they say. Our vision is an awakened world where all species thrive in symbiotic harmony. Our mission is to be a catalyst for the transformation of global consciousness through educational experiences that interweave our collective intelligence, science, and ancestral wisdom. And the McKenna Academy provides a fully integrated curriculum, including spiritual, shamanic, exploratory, and medical use of psychedelic medicines. In this respect, the McKenna Academy is a modern instantiation of the experiential mystery schools of antiquity, combining plant experiences with 
rigorous academic inquiry. And we're so glad he's here. Dennis, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you, Jake. Uh, really appreciate uh, your invitation. And, you know, I think you've got the long form of my bibliography, my biography. So, you know, so we've used up two hours just to read that. So I'll see you later. <laughs> well, but, turns yeah, out that I, time I, is flexible. <laughs> and that was only about two minutes. It's uh, yeah, interesting. I, I got to remember to send people the short, the short version. That's a very old one. And, and it's all more or less, more or less accurate, but uh, I have a, I have a couple condensed ones. But anyway, oh. that that's that gets it pretty well. well. So thank you so much for <laughs> inviting me, and uh, and now that that's out of the way, let's uh, let's get into it. Exactly. Well, look, you're one of the most profound psychedelic humans on the planet currently in the third dimension. You're currently in the third dimension, representing the McKenna family, and it's really profound your impact and and the mycelial information that's spread through these networks and activated people in certain ways it's it's really astounding but i want to ask you when did these concepts of psychedelics or or any kind of psychedelic drug enter your consciousness for the first time well uh you know i i'm an old I'm an old geezer. I'm, I'm, I've been called a, a psychedelic elder, you yes. know, and when they start calling, calling you an elder, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, your, your time on the planet's about done. But, uh, <laughs> I, I hope to stick around for a while. I still have work to do. Yes, you do. But basically during the sixties, you know, I, I was born in 1950. So, my teenage years, my formative years was that decade from 1960 to 1970. And, uh, and it was a time of obviously cultural ferment and, and a lot of interest in psychedelics, the counterculture movement and so on. My brother was four years older than me. So he was a big influence on all that. And we kind of, he led me down the path of interest in psychedelics, but I was, I was a willing explorer. We were all, we were both very interested uh, back in those days in what you might call the esoteric, the weird, interesting ideas. You know, in, in some ways I blame my father for, uh, I, I blame or credit him. You could look at it a couple ways, but uh, my father was uh, a very conventional person. He he wanted to be seen as a conventional person. He, he lived through the, the Second World War he, and came back. And like a lot of guys that came back from that war, he just wanted to settle in and be a normal person, you know, house, white picket fence, that kind of thing. But in fact, he wasn't that. He was smarter than that. And he had many uh, esoteric interests, which he never really talked to his friends about, at least I don't believe he did. And uh, not that he was, you know, in the basement doing, you know, satanic rites or anything, <laughs> but he was... He was reading science fiction and he turned us on to that. He was reading like Fate magazine. He would bring home Fate magazine. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you know Fate magazine. It's still going strong, but it was a publication that covered just a variety of topics, you know, uh, 
UFOs, aliens, you know, crazy stuff. Just just the paranormal. Just That's that what we whole, love here. <laughs> yeah, that, that total, that area, and uh, including occasionally articles about psychedelics. And, uh, and of course, Terry and I were, we were, all over this fake magazine. And that that kind of twisted us, Jake, in the sense that it turned us toward this interest in, you know, the, the unknown and, right. and the bizarre and the, and the esoteric and, and the weird and, and all that. And so when psychedelics sort of began to ooze into the culture, I guess is one way to put it, and at that time, there was pretty much LSD, and that's what there was. But we, uh, you know, we were all over it, and we were kind of primed for that by our experience with, uh, you know, uh, with with the esoteric and so on, and just our interest in kind of exploring the edges of, of the known, of what could be known. And, and uh, you know, so here we are, you know, that was... 60 years ago, really. Uh, and I'm still at it. And that hasn't really changed. I'm, I'm still interested in, in those things. And, and, you know, the, the McKenna Academy is kind of a, a way to formalize this in a certain way, or, or, you know, you know, in the, I mean, we say we're, we're a modern mystery school and, and that's what we're interested in. We're interested in exploring the mysteries. Well, what is, what are the mysteries? You know, mysteries are everything. The mystery is the situation we find ourselves in, which when you think about it is bloody unlikely, you know, and yet here we are. And, you know, if, if you pause to just, you know, think about it, things are, really quite marvelous, you know, in, in certain ways. I mean, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of bad, but, but the fact that we find ourselves, you know, in on this planet, in this backwater part of a galaxy, somewhere in this mad infinite universe, that's pretty amazing. It, and, it, it is pretty profound when you think about it. And also, yeah. you know, we're, where are we right now? Where It's a really good question as a person that's watched psychedelic culture and just human culture grow and blossom, but then have it all come through that filter that you have of all your experiences. What are your thoughts about where we're at right now in 2021? Well, boy, that's hard to say. I, I think we're definitely at a, a transition point. You know, we are at a threshold of profound change, you know, and uh, not of a, you know, I mean, I mean, I guess every era, every historical era thinks that they uh, live in the end times, you know, right. and we as a global culture, I think we really are in the end times in the sense that, there's never existed. There have been cultures that have, you know, uh, exceeded their sustainability. Eventually they collapsed because they couldn't make it work because they made a lot of stupid decisions about how to sustain themselves. Well, we're now seeing this on the global scale. And this is what's disturbing. You know, these this may really be the end times in the sense that if we don't wake up and if we don't make some hard decisions in the next 10 to 20 years, 
civilization is not going to survive and the species may not survive. I don't worry about uh, life on Earth surviving, although we certainly have the capability to wipe it out. But I think, you know, Earth is very adaptive, although we're having profound influence on the on the biosphere. And, you know, the as a result of what they sometimes call the Anthropocene, you know, the the era in which human activity shapes, it's the next geological era. We're well into that. And as a result of that, uh, you know, life on earth will persist, but it will be feeling the effects of this for potentially millions of years, because that's the scale that, that, uh, processes work on at, at, at the, in the geological time frame. But what about what about the divine dimension? What about these other entities that are working to help us evolve because they see our evolution as a fixed point? We just have to get there. What do you think about that? It seems like there is the uh, intervention happening in multiple dimensions that is kind of signaling that perhaps we are destined to achieve a heaven on earth, new earth scenario, but we all have to take action to make it happen. Is that what you're talking about? Well, I think we have to take action to make it happen. And I think I'm a little, I mean, I'm, I'm more than a little, I'm, I'm skeptical about the, the entities. I, 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 I think that it's up to us to save our butts, basically. Yes. I think, you know, the, the the super enlightened alien space brothers are not going to show up <laughs> and pull up, pull us out of the fire. And I don't think Jesus Shit. is coming either. And I think, <laughs> I think basically it's up to us. And I think, Definitely. you know, the entities, I mean, if there are these entities and, and, uh, and they're going to intervene, well, where the hell are we? Uh, are they? It's, uh, you know, it's high time that they showed up and, and told us, you know, how to, how to get ourselves out of this. I, I don't see that happening. So we have to rely on our own intelligence and our own compassion and our own, uh, you know, cleverness, good ideas to, to, to get out of this. And the dismaying part, Jake, is that the, the more profound the, the problems that we're facing, the stupider we seem to be getting as a species, you know. I mean, I've noticed that. that. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's a problem. Well, is know? that a fear we, response collectively pushing us in our repti- to our reptilian brain, right? where we're just lower collective brain function, where fear has not allowed those higher frequencies to affect us collectively? Right. And then that... That is a problem because we need clarity. We need we need wisdom. You know, I mean, this is we need wisdom more than anything. And and there are so many forces that uh, mitigate against that. And, and, uh, you know, every time you go online, every time you look at social media, every time you watch the news, there's always somebody that's touting, you know, if you just follow us or follow these ideas or whatever, you'll be fine. And, and which is what religion and some of these things have always done. You know, it's always been a uh, sort of temptation to the weak-minded, if you want, right. if you want my opinion. It's oh, like, no, that's true. There are simple answers. All you have to do is accept 
this doctrine, this dogma, follow this or that person, and it's all going to be fine. And it's it's kind of like an invitation to stop thinking, yes. turn off your brain, and and you know just do it. And uh, and I'm you know I'm totally against that. I I think and and you know I, that's what the academy is is an invitation. The academy is about helping people learn how to think, not telling them what to think. Right. You know, and that that's a big difference. And and the ability to, you know, have, uh, you know, analytical thought and clarity of thought is almost becoming a lost art, you know, as especially as the as the, uh, you know, collective memosphere, if you want to call it that, or the collective <laughs> intelligence now often represented by the Internet just becomes cluttered with so much crap. <laughs> but I'm noticing, Dennis, I'm noticing a polarity to that being the widespread acceptance of potent psychedelics. There's a DMT industry now. There's hundreds mm. of millions, if not billions of dollars collectively being poured into different companies that are trying to analyze and understand the medical effects of 5-MAO DMT and 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 other substances like ayahuasca so is this the response to the certain aspects lowering is there the opening up of uh mainstream dmt mainstream ayahuasca it's so mainstream now what do you think about about all that that's it's mind-blowing to me well in some ways i'm very encouraged by that i yeah. mean it took us it took us long enough <laughs> as a species to wake up for this we're not doing anything that indigenous people have not been doing for 10,000 years, you know, and they've been sort of the, the stewards of, of these plant medicines and, and that psychedelic worldview. So it's, it's good to see that it's getting, uh, you know, recognition and it's becoming almost uh, acceptable. All, you know, almost. the stigma is being removed. It's so close. But, but as we try and transform, transition into this and really establish this uh this co-evolutionary relationship not establish it it's always existed but acknowledge the co-evolutionary relationship and try to foster it and move it forward but it's problematic because you know we're monkeys and we're problematic monkeys <laughs> and there's you know and it's human nature you know in some ways uh, like as you look at the commercialization of psychedelics and all it's that, mind some people really get it. Other people just see, you know, a chance to cash in. I know dollar signs. Typical capitalistic yeah. uh, perspective. <laughs> What's and up with that? It's well, it's <laughs> it's it's human nature. You know, to monetize we, and, everything, like go, ooh, there's an experience that provides an effect. Let's figure out how to charge people money for it. Effectively, yes, you know, <laughs> and it's okay. I mean, there's got to be a monetary <laughs> aspect, commercial aspect sure. of these things. Yeah, but we need to we need to be careful, you know, in the way we perceive, because these are these are in fact uh, these substances are in fact, I believe, coevolutionary catalysts, and they're sending a message to you know, our species, whether, whether you want to say the entities behind them or, or just simply that these things unlock parts of ourselves that, that we don't normally have access to, 
but the message to uh, our species is is pretty simple, which is wake up, you know, <laughs> Jesus, wake up because you're wrecking this place, you know, and and once you once we wake up, then we have to wise up, you know, and that's the hard part in terms of the decisions that we make going forward. How are we going to avert the you know, the, the threats that are impending and, and the, the, the window is getting narrower, you know, I mean, it used to be, we figured 30 years ago, which is not that long ago. No. We used to think, well, you know, yeah, there are challenges, but you know, we have plenty of time to figure this out. Well, now we didn't do it, you know, and we haven't really stepped up and now, so now, Instead of 30 years, we have maybe 10 years. And that's that's an optimistic projection, you know. So how are we going to move this thing forward before, you know, and as we see, we only have to look at the events of the last the, of last summer and all of these uh, hurricanes, uh, you know, on one side of the country is on fire. The other side is underwater. Uh and these things are accelerating and much faster than anybody thought. So at a certain point, you reach a, a threshold where there's no resiliency in the system anymore. You know, there's no ability to recover, to restore balance, because as soon as you get done dealing with one crisis, the next one comes along, you know. And so this is a problem. Yes, you're seeing this crisis, Dennis, but then at the same time is consciousness or just human awareness of these this other information expanding at that same accelerated rate in the hopes that we get it, that we all wake up and somehow these legalized uh, psychedelics and I mean, in Portland, where I live, I live in Portland, Oregon. It's decriminalized. Drugs are decriminalized. You can have LSD, cocaine, DMT, and you're, you're, you're not even going to get a ticket at this point. Right. Well, that's right. And that, that's not to equate those three because uh, we, we don't want to equate the, cocaine with those. The, uh, I mean, it's encouraging that that's happening. The, the sad part is that these things should never have been criminalized. And the very yes. idea that you could criminalize a plant or a mushroom or any organism is, is just, a, just a poly. And it's a reflection of, uh, our disrespect for nature, our complete misunderstanding of our relationship with nature, and our arrogance. I mean, who delegated the human species to say that we could declare a species anathema and, and declare that it should be eradicated? I mean, if any any species on the planet should be eradicated, it's us. You know? <laughs> well, and we may accomplish that yet, but it, in the sense that you know, instead of becoming part of this sort of, you know, collective enterprise of the biosphere to try to to try to save ourselves, you know, we become like a virus ourselves. We become like a like a parasite on the planet. And uh, uh, but it's not all of us. It's not everyone. Not everyone. And, the, and that's the critical question, Jake, is are there enough people that are hearing the message from the psychedelics, from whatever place, you know, this wisdom is coming from, are enough people getting the message fast enough to make a difference? And are the right people getting the message fast enough? Because it's not enough 
that, you know, schmucks like you and me get the message of our, you know, our psychic, but people who have influence, not only ability, not only wisdom, but ability to make real change on a global scale. And it dismays me that that's not happening. You know, we have to be concerned, I think, as members of the psychedelic community, that we may be living in a bubble, you know, and, and when you when you live in a bubble, you're not aware, you know, what's really going on in the bigger sphere, what's really uh, <laughs> going on outside of that, outside of that <laughs> bubble. So so you've got to you have a temptation to delusion. It's like, oh, well, we're in this bubble. But the fact is, a tiny fraction of the human species is really you know, aware of this. Now it is spreading, but it isn't spreading fast enough. And then the other, the other aspect of this, it's not simply enough to, uh, you know, say, yes, I get it. And I get the message, but then what do you do with the message? You know, I mean, we have, we have two challenges here where we have linked challenges. One of them is to wake up, you know, to receive that message. I think, that's that's happening because nature is forcing us. Even the most idiot politician and and uh, you know uh, apparatchiks in in government and other institutions look at the changes that are happening. You have to be completely dumb not to accept the evidence in front of our eyes, which is that climate change is no longer an abstraction. This is what we're living through, and we're seeing all of these systems that formerly were self-regulating, self-equilibrating, they're falling apart, you know? So you have to accept that change is accelerating. And then the question is, so you, you, you get the wake up call, but then you have to, you have to not only wake up, you then have to wise up in the sense that you have to become wise based on what you learn in terms of the, the changes that you make. And that's a much harder, that's a much harder message to, to propagate because it requires that we change. Is that the spiritual component? Is that something that you need to then develop to, uh, like you said, wise up? It's not just physical knowledge we're talking about. We're talking about esoteric knowledge and just learning about yourself and, and knowing yourself and knowing what that spirituality is. Is that what you're talking about, Dennis? It's just taking it up spiritually, physically, well, that, personally. That's a part of it. I mean, I think I think that's that's like the individual, uh, you know, internal response that the psychedelics offer the opportunities for people to to become wise, to gain wisdom. But then, how do we how do we implement that in terms of action? You know, I often say in my talks that. Uh, you know, we are a very clever species. You know, we've we we're very inventive. We develop technologies that, you know, potentially properly deployed can save the world, but, but improperly deployed, they can destroy the world. And we don't have the wisdom to use these technologies. Our our, our cleverness has outpaced our uh, outpaced our wisdom. And that's the challenge that we that we face. How are we going to make the choices that ensure sustainability, uh, ensure that, uh, 
you know, everyone that, like the Academy says, like its vision is, all species can live in symbiotic harmony. And, you know, it's possible. I mean, there uh, there's enough resources. Uh, there are 8 billion people on the planet, you know, more or less, that changes. We have enough resources. If it was equitably distributed. Oh, definitely. Could, you know, that everyone could live a sustainable life, not a super rich life, but not not abject poverty. But you got to make some changes. I mean, you have to get rid of, you know, predatory capitalism, which is based on consumerism and the whole old Darwinian model of survival of the fittest. And, you know, if if you win, then I have to lose. If we win, then these other people have to lose. That's not how biology works. I mean, that, that's an old model of evolution. Biology works based on symbiosis. Symbiosis is mutually beneficial collaborations between species. And that lifts all boats. And that's the way evolution advances, you know, is by these symbiotic uh, relationships. And, uh, uh, you know, that that's what we have to strive for. But you know, there are certain, I mean, there are many people who, who don't share this perspective and a lot of them have the financial and political power to say, well, you know, we liked it the way it was when we controlled things. And this is, you know, when we controlled the money and, and the, the distribution of resources and all this stuff. And, uh, we want to push back against this idea, but it's not going to work. There is no going back. You know, there the people talk after the pandemic and so on about a return to normal. There is not going to happen. There right. is no new normal. It's you know, this definitely is a frequency normal, shift. And it doesn't look like the old normal at all, you know. And so uh, we have to get used to this. We have to make the best of it. And it's possible to do it, but it requires, uh, you know, it requires a sort of collaboration and co-creation of other people's points of view and, and, you know, all of these things. And you don't see that. I mean, you, 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 you I would know. say that is genuine love. We, a genuine love for each other would seem That's to help the situation. To start. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. If we, if we start I, there, we can really, everything kind of falls into place. And you're right. There is an infinite amount of resources because in a way, you know, like Hinduism would say, everything is made out of, god right the divine or just this original substance we don't know what it is but everything's made out of it so it can show and it's infinite so it can show up to satisfy our needs but we have to raise our consciousness collectively to access those higher technologies what do you think about that right right well yes i think i think that's exactly what you have to do and uh you know it it has to go beyond just uh uh, you know, turning everybody into uh, onto psychedelics, although that's a part of it, you know, that's a part of it, but that's not sufficient. And because you it know, makes sense, they say sometimes when you go to a retreat and you have these life changing, profound psychedelic experiences, the real work begins after that. You know, right. what do you do with that insight? How do you implement it? How do you change your life? You know, and Unfortunately, it de- it 
it seems to require that we all have to change our relationship, not only with each other, but with the limited resources that we have on the planet. And, you know, I think we're all guilty. We're all the very fact that we're here talking to each other, you know, and I, I got your compute, my computer, you have yours. We have the internet. We have all these technologies. We have all these things. I mean, can you Gadgets and bells and whistles? we are <laughs> oh my compared God. to 90% of the world? I thank, uh, you know, I thank the mystery every day. I, I'm so grateful. I, I ever long gratitude for everything I'm blessed with. Yeah, well, it's important, <laughs> it's important to have gratitude. It, it's important to, but then how do you share? How do you bring other people on board? How, yeah. you know, because... It's always been the case that, uh, you know, in these societies that are under great environmental and economic stress, you know, the people that the people that lose first, everybody loses ultimately. But the people that lose first are the people that are poor and the people are displaced and the people that don't have resources. And they're they're the most vulnerable and uh, um, and the thing is, you know, eventually we all become those people as as resources as resources get uh, depleted and so on. So, you know, I, I don't know, Jake. Frankly, <laughs> <laughs> well, people say there's a psychedelic renaissance right now, much like the psychedelic renaissance of the '60s, except with the internet and things in place and the instant communication and all of these ways to uh, use cryptocurrencies to buy certain substances. There's floods of uh, psychedelic substances all over the world and they're high quality, even to the point now where there's DMT in the e-cigarette vape pens. I don't know if you've seen that yet where they, yeah, they, they put yeah. the, and to me that I'm not sure this is a good idea. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that because it's so prevalent now. And these psychedelics are so powerful and they're literally everywhere. I mean, it's, it's, if you look, you can probably get it online. I don't recommend that legally. I can't recommend that, but you know, it's all out there. What do you think about that? DMT in a vape pen ayahuasca retreats that you can get 30% off of like 30% off your ayahuasca experience. Like, what do you think about all that? Well, I think that we have to be <laughs> careful. I think the fact that these things are uh, widely available doesn't mean that their use will necessarily be beneficial or constructive. For example, the DMT vape pen, uh, good idea. But these are these things. Uh, I mean, you know, the technology is there to do it, and the temptation to do it on the freeway at seventy <laughs> miles an hour is it also there. It takes the sacredness know? away. The sacredness is lost. It takes the sacredness away. These things should be used under thoughtfully, respectfully, probably rarely, yes. and and very carefully uh, structured environment set and setting, right? Because the indigenous people, again, we can take a leaf from indigenous people and that's always been the way they've been approached. They've always understood this. So the widespread availability of, uh, of psychedelics, especially in these dose forms, uh, I am not in favor of it because it encouraged thoughtless use. Exactly. It encourages I feel the same casual way. use. We should not be approached casually, you know, and uh, 
And just because there's lots of psychedelics available in all sorts of uh, dosage forms and so on, uh, you know, this is not necessarily the answer. I mean, this is something that's happened. And uh, a lot of it has been driven by the capitalistic yes. impulse. For example, yes. you, you mentioned ayahuasca. You know, ayahuasca is a traditional medicine that potentially could help many, many people. Uh, and, you know, we've all witnessed that. We've seen that. But we have to think clearly, there's not enough ayahuasca in the world to 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 help the world. And it, effectively, it's an endangered species. People have uh, love it so much that it's under a lot of pressure. And oh similarly with things like peyote and iboga and a lot of these natural psychedelics, the one exception being mushrooms, because mushrooms can be grown by the ton, so there's no, no, uh, you know, pressure limitations. On the yeah. And so, what about the ethics? I mean, I, I myself have organized ayahuasca retreats. I did that for years, and uh, I've seen the benefits up close that it can have for people. But now I'm wondering, is it an ethical thing to do to? essentially use a traditional medicine, take it from another culture, co-opt it, commercialize it, and deplete it. That's the problem. You know, that's that's a big uh, aspect of it. You know, we have to uh, work out ways so that, uh, you know, these species are protected. Definitely. And, and there's adequate supplies and there's sustainable production and, and all of those Things and so, in a sense, what we do with that is, uh, you know, it, it's kind of a what we do with those species is kind of a microcosm of some of the challenges that we face with resources in, in general. Well, when yeah. you did it, though, uh, Dennis, it seems like it came from the heart. It was a spiritual experience. You wanted to heal people. There's people that are coming at this experience strictly from a business standpoint, where, like we talked about earlier, they're seeing dollar signs. They have these ideas. They organize. They hire a shaman or a so-called shaman, at least someone that knows how to work with these plant medicines and they hire these people, they bring them in like a contractor to create these experiences. That's a whole different experience. I think than something that's led by you that comes from love and comes from the heart and spirit versus something that's strictly coming from commercialization. Right. Well, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not putting myself up there as, as the person that necessarily is doing it right. I'm, I'm thinking myself about my relationship to these things. I'll tell you, Jake, what I would like to see. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I talk about this more and more. I'm going to, I'm going to move my. Oh yeah. He's in the light uh, for people that are just listening to this. Dennis <laughs> is adjusting his camera to not be exactly in the light, but we already know he's in the light because he's a light being <laughs> in a physical body. You can't hide your light, Dennis. There's no Apparently, hiding. <laughs> not only can I not hide it, I can't hide from it. There we are. <laughs> okay. That's, that's better. All right. But, but you know what I would like to see and what I think, uh, what is encouraging here to me is these decrim movements yes. that are happening. Um, state and municipal local levels, the decriminalization of psychedelics is the first step toward making these things available 
to people in a way that is sustainable, that is respectful of the traditions. And uh, what I would like to see that, you know, is in many of these communities, there are centers that exist, places that already offer psychedelics, you know, but they're they're underground. They're technically not legal. Right. You know, but the decrim movement opens the possibility that they could come out of the shadows. They could start op- operating uh, openly. They could work with indigenous communities to uh, produce the medicines sustainably, naturally, and so on. And rather than taking people down to South America or whatever to find the medicine, to have the medicine, bring the medicine up to North America, deal, you know, set up supply chains for sustainable production of these things and and bring the medicine to the people, rather the people to the medicine, you know, and that's how you can make it work. And that's what I would like to see is to that. And these these healing centers, if you want to call them that, have got to be integrated into their communities, you know, so that that's where the social responsibility comes, that they are operating in the community, they're open, that they use psychedelics, and that that might be one of a menu of of healthy, you know, therapies or, or healthy alternatives they offer people. People can go to these centers and have a a psychedelic experience, you know, uh, managed, you know, guided by an experienced facilitator and do it that way, you know, and, and, and the, and the important, the importance of the community, uh, uh, you know, connection is really important. I think like, like they could just say, well, you know, we, we offer a, a range of, of, beneficial things, maybe nutritional counseling, maybe yoga, maybe family counseling, maybe massage, all of these things that any alternative healing center would, would offer and that could commit, contribute to the uh, mental health uh, and, uh, and resilience of the community. It would just be normal medicine. Like it should be. It would be normal medicine. And psychedelics (laughs) are a big part of that, but not the only not right. the only thing. Well, they know? they do have that here in Portland, Oregon. And within uh, about a year and a half, they're going to have psychedelic mushroom trip centers, where as long as you have a, get this, just a high school diploma, you don't even have to be a licensed physician. You can open up a magic mushroom psychedelic trip center where they have the legislation in place here in Portland, Oregon, after its two-year trial phase. It's going to be pretty interesting because you're unlocking something. You're letting the floodgates open to have mm-hmm. for anyone to have access to that. What do you think about that? That literally anyone well, I, I think could that's, have it. that's the model. I think okay. that's I, I'm all in favor of that. I, I, think I that's, as well. That's exactly what needs to happen, that kind of thing. And they, you know, I I don't know if just a high school diploma should, I think there should be some kind of certification. Of course. But, uh, you know, just like we're not going to let people drive cars, you know, unless they've learned how to do it. I think that, you know, there should be training and certification programs. You want to get formal about it, certification programs, but just ways to help people learn how to use these things beneficially. And they, you don't have to be a, a physician or a 
psychiatrist or a therapist or in any formal sense. You just have to be a compassionate person who, you know, knows how to do it. But I think there should be some, if you want to set your, if you want to set yourself up to offer these things then you should have some, some degree of number one experience with them and, and expertise on, on how to do it. But what's happening in Oregon, frankly, uh, Jake is the most encouraging thing right now. I know I'm I pretty believe, excited. It's, it's, I feel awesome yeah. about uh, that. It's happening. I mean, but maybe that's something you could offer eventually at the McKenna Academy is some sort of Western shamanic, uh, training or some sort of a shamanic type leadership for these centers. This is within our, uh, this is within our mandate, within our aspirations. I mean, nice. when I established the Academy, uh, the, I, which yeah, was tell me about that. Yeah. Know, let, let's the, hear about well, the, the catalyst. I, the whole that. idea was that a lot of what we did was going to be physical conferences and retreats, you know, in South America, probably, and that that's that's a lot of what we would do. Well, COVID uh, really, you know, rearranged those priorities rather quickly. So we've had to develop a, uh, you know, an online virtual presence. And that's what we've been trying to do. But we want to get back to that. We want to get back to that idea that we can have a uh you know, a physical place, whether it's in Oregon or South America or wherever. And then probably the, uh, you know, the, another factor is, you know, I mean, what I had been doing was, was organizing retreats in South America, but then you have to look at the, the downsides of that. You know, you require people in the first place, only people that can afford to spend time and money to go there and have these retreats so it's it markets to the the wealthier people uh and to go there and have these retreats you know there's a carbon footprint associated with that and uh, so maybe these locally uh localized places uh are the way to go and, yeah. and in the case of mushrooms there isn't a supply issue right you know, every retreat center can grow their own and there's, and that's good. That's a good thing. And, uh, there's definitely an abundance here in Oregon. (laughs) What's that? Oh, I said, there's definitely an abundance of mushrooms here in Oregon. Absolute abundance. Absolutely. So I'm all for that. I, I think that is, that is the way things are trending. And I'd like to see more of that on the, on the research and the scientific side of it. I mean, I am a scientist. I I am in favor of, you know, this drug discovery stuff. And, and there's a lot of people focused on that. Uh, but I honestly, uh, a lot of this is motivated by, by the opportunity to co-opt these things, create intellectual property, create inventions that can be patented and so on. And that's just the way capitalists, you know, when capitalism know. and science marry each other, then that's what happens. I was just going to ask you about ways, that. I'm, I'm kind of amused when people say, well, you know, we'll take the psilocybin molecule, we'll make this derivative and, you know, it will be better. You know, but actually psilocybin is just about the perfect psychedelic, if you think about it. 
you know, it's non-toxic. Most of the time, the effects are pleasant, but still profound. There's no issue with supply. There's no issue, you know, it can be sustainably produced using organic processes, unlike synthetics, which, uh, you know, require a lot of chemistry and a lot of, essentially, you have to pollute the environment to to produce these things. So I would like to see uh, more emphasis on the natural psychedelics, and that's that's what uh, the places like these centers in Oregon offer that, that possibility. Well, do you have a favorite type of mushroom, a favorite strain, whether it's Q-Benzies or Cyanessence, is there some that you particularly prefer? I prefer Cyanessence personally. That's just me. But what do you think? Well, I have to be honest. I, I've only taken Cyanessence a few times. Most of my experience has been with Cubensis. And they're both fine, you know. Uh, I mean, mo- cubensis is the easiest to cultivate, right, so that's what exactly. people have their experience with. Cyanessence is more difficult, but not that difficult. I think it, it's just a question of what your preference is. I mean, the molecule is the same, and the differences between the species are not that great, you know. I mean, it, it's you know, it, it, it's not that difference because psilocybin is psilocybin, no right. matter where you find it. So uh, it just I seems to be really a more potent strain. But you don't have a. Yeah, I, they are definitely more potent, and this is something to be con- not concerned about, but aware of. That you know, uh, two grams of uh, of cyanessence is uh, you know easily equivalent to five grams of cubensis. And right. So. But that's just a matter of titrating the dose and figuring out what your medicine is. Uh, but but cubensis is very easily cultivated, and that's what's pretty much that's what's out there. Yeah. And then, of course, there are many strains and different potencies and so on. So so you know, this is just about uh, essentially strain development, the same kind of technology you might apply to. To cannabis, you know. Sure. Uh, I mean, now we have seen with cannabis, <laughs> you know, what what you're getting is. I mean, these things are artifacts. You know, these things are heavily genetic, genetically modif- modified, uh, whether through uh, just selective breeding. Mostly, they're not being genetically engineered. But the same thing applies to psilocybin. You know, you can select strains and potencies and so on. You know, and, and you can go even to the next step. And this is already being done where they take the genes for psilocybin biosynthesis and transfer those into yeast. Oh, my or God. Bacteria, you know. And you can do that. <laughs> and my question is, wow. why? Why Why do you need to <laughs> that's do That's some that? special toast. The reason they do it is because <laughs> then that's proprietary and they can protect it. But it seems that the mushrooms are quite capable of uh, making it. They don't really need to be put into yeast. Uh, 
what's to be gained by that? Well, like I said, there could be some very special toasts or brownies that make you feel really amazing. But I want to ask you, Dennis, how do you feel about the current trend of microdosing and then also these corporate personality types taking these psychedelic drugs in order to have corporate related epiphanies or design things for movies, things like that. The, the microdosing trend I, I'm really concerned about because I don't think people understand how it affects the psyche. But what do you think about that? I am skeptical about microdosing. Okay. Uh, I, I think that, I mean, it may have some, some benefits for some people. I think it's highly overrated. Uh, there haven't been any good studies that show that it really has an effect. In fact, the one study I'm aware of compared placebo to microdosing and showed that, yes, there was improvement, but a response to the placebo and the response to the actual medicine was about the same. <laughs> and and I, I think that in some ways, microdosing is a, uh, well, you know, it sounds, I, I don't know, it sounds elitist and maybe disrespectful to see, to say it, but in a certain sense, I think microdosing is a way to uh, be with the cool kids. Uh-huh and never actually look around the corner and see this ah. world of wonder that it is waiting to be discovered if they had the courage to actually take a real dose, you know? And, and so I'm skeptical about microdosing. It may, it may be better maybe for maintaining, uh, uh, you know, uh, if you have issues with depression and that sort of thing, might be better to microdose than to take SSRIs, you know? So in that sense, it could be beneficial, but I think that people should be aware that, you know, uh, in fact, there is more to be discovered. If you take a full dose, then you can have a true epiphany. The macro dose. A macro dose. <laughs> and, and actually get to the root get to the root of some of the problems that you may have with respect to depression and this sort of thing, or, you know, right. whereas the, the, uh, microdose, it may sustain, it may be sustainable, but I don't think it's going to knock you off your, you know, back on your heels. And that's sort of the point with psychedelic experiences. They need to be, you know, profound and transformative and not recreational. Yeah. And that way, I think it's also making up for nutritional deficiencies where people are getting the uh, serotonin boosts and the GABA and things, but they could also get that from eating better. And they're, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that, that's also, that that's also an overlap. I don't, you know, I don't have any problem with people using psychedelics for creativity sure for example i mean for thinking about whatever you know if they're mathematicians or inventors or or artists or whatever i mean sure they can be used for creativity there's nothing wrong with that and actually there's nothing really wrong with uh, recreational in the sense that i mean people have this idea you know oh you shouldn't use them recreationally well, what do you mean they shouldn't be used recreationally? I mean, I mean, you know, they should be used thoughtfully and respectfully. Yeah. But it's okay to take them and have an enjoyable experience. You know, look at the word, Jake, recreation. Right. You know, that's what it's all about. And you can take it, take a 
strong dose and and recreate yourself or you can i mean you can benefit from recreational use certainly they are less harmful than say recreational use of alcohol you know which is often not so beneficial for people no not at and, all actually i think it's really morally about just making sure that even in small doses that you maintain the reverence and the understanding that, that's the thing reverence and respect yes. you know for the way you use these substances you know and that's also respect for yourself you know in a certain sense it's it's because the psychedelic experience happens at the interface of the individual and the medicine and the and the medicine the psychedelic experience is a profoundly individual thing you know nobody can have your psychedelic experience for you and that's the challenge you know you have to have the courage to to take it on and have it yourself you can't say you know you can't delegate these things you know any more than you can delegate other types of human activity that you just can't substitute you can't delegate people to have sex for you you can't <laughs> delegate people to you know, die for you. You can't delegate people to be born for you. These are things that an individual just has to do, you know, and it's really important. Uh, the psychedelic experience is like that. It's something that happens at the interface of the medicine and the individual. But that said, the, you know, the resonance of that works beyond that because then it affects the person and the way they relate to their community, their friends, their society, their jobs, all of these things. So the effects of a, you know, these individual experiences resonate far beyond the individual and, and actually makes us better, wiser people. Isn't that what they're supposed to do? I think so. I think there's a frequency shift, a true electromagnetic exactly. field frequency shift, and then you're broadcasting a different frequency to the collective, which then influences that collective frequency. And if enough of us do that, maybe, maybe we can turn the tide. I think we can save the planet. I think it's interesting when I interviewed Ken Babs, he was saying the exact same things that you are about the planet and how we should be concerned about that. It's really interesting that you both brought that up. And uh, I think we can, just like I told him, I think we can turn the tide if enough of us really wake up and spread the message. And I think that that's happening. I don't think personally, intuitively, and, and please tell me what you think. I don't think it's our destiny as humans to fade into the dust. I don't think it's our destiny as humans to build this ladder to nowhere, this staircase to nothingness. I think it's our destiny as humans to be emissaries of love and light throughout the universe to adapt all the things that we learned in our symbiotic relationship with the earth to the rest of the universe. Share that knowledge. What do you think about that, Dennis? Well, uh, of course I agree with that. <laughs> you know, I mean, and I hope that's true. That's <laughs> I, I hope that's true. That's a very positive attitude and I hope it's, I, I hope it's true because you're absolutely right on the money, you know, but you look, you look around and you wonder, you know, and right now that doesn't seem to be happening. That doesn't mean we shouldn't keep trying, but that's the, uh, you know, that, that's the, that's the issue. I, I would like to believe that it's exactly that, that these things are waking us up so that we can become 
enlightened and we can move this project forward and maybe yes. eventually reach our destiny, which is probably, you know, if we have a destiny, I mean, I don't know, but to, to bring this to the white, to the universe itself, you yes. know, I mean, our as music. an old science fiction fan, I say our destiny lies in the stars, yes. you know, but the problem is Jake, you know, that the, <laughs> You know, the worst of us are terrible. I get it. I mean, one one of the one of the conundrums that that we <laughs> that we see, one of the puzzles that we find, you know, when we look out into the galaxy and and beyond that, and we can we can you know calculate how many planets there probably are, and how many of those might support life, and how many of those might support technological civilizations. Drake's or, equation, you yes. know, and. You can you can make a, a reasonable guess, and that's all it is, on how frequent, how how abundant technological civilizations probably are. The question is, where are they? You know, this is something that concerns, you know, this is the so-called what is it, the Ferme paradox when Fermi said, well, you know, if these alien civilizations are around and certain of them, certain percentage of reach a certain level of technological advancement and so on, how come they're not already here? But what you if know? they are here, but they're at a different level of density and they, because of their high frequency nature, they can't get into the third dimension because it's, we think we're so high, but we're actually really low. What do you think? That's a possibility, but then, but then the question, the temptation then is to say, you know, to I mean, science. If you want to, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that science is the necessarily ultimate way to know things, but if you want to look at it as a scientist, science can't speak to that because there's no way to measure that. There's no way to verify that. So then. You're saying, well, it's all you know, speculation. Yeah, maybe this is true, but there's no way to say that that's not just a complete delusion. <laughs> and we have to be very careful about delusions. That's true. Case, you know, because we're very, very tempted. I mean, it may be that, uh, you know, I mean, maybe part of the answer to this 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 conundrum of the of the of the Fermi paradox is that, yeah. The, the galaxy has spawned hundreds of thousands of technological civilizations, you know, in that last 13 billion years or whatever. And they've all reached a certain point of development and then they've destroyed themselves. Right. And this, this may be what we're doing, you know, so that, yes, if we ever got out there, we'd find the ruins of all these, you know, almost made it made the same mistakes we did and disappeared you know and depressing as that is that may be why we don't find them yeah well the hopi the native american tribe the hopi who have the longest oral tradition of any native american tribe they sent a representative out around 2008 or 9 i believe and said that we have passed the point where previous situations, we blew ourselves up. They say potentially four times or the Aztecs say five, but those times where we blew ourselves up and had to start over, the Hopi said we have passed the point of that destruction and we are now at an uncharted new place. They called it the one heart path or the single heart path. And we're going somewhere 
that we've never gone before, but we made it. That's what the Hopi think. Well, I think I think there's something to that. That's right. We have gone further than, you know, and we've dodged the bullet so far. And so maybe <laughs> maybe built into it somewhere, there is some kind of destiny that we don't even know what it is that we're fulfilling. We're on this path. We'd like to think so. You know, I mean, we would like to think so. But like I say, comforting delusions are not going to get us there. But maybe it's not a delusion. I don't know. I mean, this is this is where, uh, you know, where uh, I think qualities like humility come in and, uh, you know, acknowledging. I mean, this is one of the, the big lessons I get from psychedelics and many people get from psychedelics is we we need to remember how little we know you know i mean <laughs> exactly. science can be very arrogant about what it thinks it knows but tell me but about it, it it understands a very small segment of reality and so we should remember that there's a, like an infinite infinitely greater amount of stuff that we don't know that could change the equation. So we can be proud of science, but we shouldn't be overly proud of it because we only, you know, science is very good at looking at a at tiny slices of reality, you know, right. uh, but not the big picture. It's Re not reducing, so good it reduces it it. the big picture. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting that science does that. It does have a place. Like, we wouldn't be here without science. I wouldn't, like we talked about earlier, we wouldn't be talking in Hawaii and Oregon in real time like this without science. It's done so much for us, and it's come from inspiration. And some people would say that inspiration is divine, so you could then extrapolate that science is a divine art in its own way. But it all comes through human perceptions, human understandings, which we have to understand collectively are limited. And it's growing, we're getting new information, more information, but it's always gonna be limited. And we can't think that science is the be all end all. It's not a cult, it's just a method of understanding the reality in the world around us and multiple realities, actually. Yeah, that that's right. It, it's not, a, it, at least when it's properly practiced, it's not a cult. <laughs> and it is a way, I mean, here's what <laughs> makes science different than other uh, things like religion and, and so on, because religions pretty much have uh, a static dogma. You know, they have a set of beliefs and they are not questioned. And what science does, if it's properly pursued, it's the job of science to always question itself. It has yes. this, if it's properly practiced, it has this self-checking mechanism uh, built into it where, you know, we try to understand reality. We try, try to understand the cosmos. We build theories. We build hypotheses, you know, and then we check those against the data that we have. And the idea is, does the, 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 does the hypothesis fit the data that we have? And you can say, well, yeah, based on so far, knowing that we have limited data, this hypothesis, whatever it may be, relativity, for example, or, you know, uh, has explanatory value. But you always have to keep in mind that you never prove anything with science, you know? You can't prove anything. You can only not disprove right. things, you know, 
And you're, it, you know, what you think is this understanding about a process or something may be overturned next week or next year or 500 years from now by new data. You know, and if you look at the, the history of physics, this is exactly what's happened. You know, we, I mean, Newtonian physics served us well and Newtonian physics is quite useful on the macro scale. But we now understand that it's it's sorely lacking in in certain explanatory uh, in, in certain explanatory aspects. So science is it's the only human institution I know of where you construct suppositions, which is another way to to say hypotheses or constructions about how things are. And then if you're doing your job right, you try like hell to demolish them. Yes. You know, and I don't think people get point. that. I don't think people get that. They think science people is do concrete. not get it. Okay. Thank Even you. A lot of scientists <laughs> don't get this. You know, that's the thing. I mean, I mean, I, I am a, I am a person who, uh, you know, uh, uh, believes I, I think many scientists don't think about this and even though they're practicing science they never really think about what they're really doing you know they they master the technology they become very good technicians of manipulating data and constructing models and that sort of thing but do they ever pause to think about why are we doing this what is the real reason we're doing this well the real reason for doing it is we're trying we're we're engaged in a search for truth you know that's nice. the ultimate you know objective of yeah. science is to uncover truth knowing that we're never we're uncovering pieces of the truth you know you're never going to reach a point where you say oh uh we have all this figured out we have this whole thing figured out we don't have to worry anymore we have a we have this nailed down and I'm I'm always amused by, uh, you know, every few years there's a book that comes out that talks about something titled something like the end of science, you know, <laughs> saying uh, this you know, new thing blows it all away. We have it all figured out, and about the time the book comes out, then some discovery is made that completely blows it up. <laughs> so we we've got to remember to keep an open mind. You know, yes. and to acknowledge how little we know, you know, the limitations of our knowledge. Well, uh, we often think as humans, no matter what time period we're in, we think that we're at the pinnacle of knowledge, the pinnacle of understanding. And, and in a sense, we could say like, oh, knowledge, uh, we got this. We have knowledge. Every You could yeah. say 1500s, 1700s. They thought they were, they knew everything. 1800s. But yet somehow we're in 2021 and we can't acknowledge collectively. We can, but we can't acknowledge collectively that we don't really know anything in our science is yeah. I mean, in a constant is, state of evolution. It, Every every era, every historical era fancies that it is at the pinnacle yes, of knowledge. Exactly. And in fact, it is at the pinnacle <laughs> of knowledge for that, that time. time. Yeah. You know, but the but you know, so there it's not that there is, you know, you're climbing a mountain and, and eventually you reach the top. It's more like you're climbing a mountain, but it's like a, a staircase. There are certain levels and each level it's like, you know, you think you reach it and you think, oh, well, you know, now we have this vast understanding. And then 
new not new information comes along and shows that you know your models are not complete here there's a whole lot you're not taking into account here so i, I and you know i uh, i think that this is the challenge of science this is this is the beauty of science in a certain way uh you know because you know, you never do reach a point where you say you, you we don't need this anymore, which is right. good for scientists because you know that's like an employment program for scientists. You know, you, <laughs> yeah, it's like woohoo! You'll always have a job. <laughs> well, if they integrate the psychedelic experience into the mainstream, they make it normal. These scientists will have these psychedelic experiences and understand that yes, they're at the pinnacle of knowledge, but there is an ever arching plateau that ne can never really be reached. It's just always there, always right. moving forward until we're, I guess we're non-physical beings. But Dennis, I do want to ask you a few questions. Uh, we did have some questions submitted by listeners who were very excited that you were going to be on the show and they wanted to ask you a couple uh, specific questions if that's okay. Sure. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> this one <laughs> Ask is the question. This one is from Travis and he says, do you see a difference in tryptamines versus phenylethylamines? He feels that 2CB, MDMA and MDA are good fun, but not deeply psychedelic and wanted to know your thoughts. Uh, I, well, I think, I don't think you can make a blanket statement like that. I mean, I think something like mescaline, for example, can be deeply psychedelic. The thing yes. is, the psychedelics, uh, uh, you know, what I call the true psychedelics is, is a way to, to classify them. They all hit this certain subtype of serotonin receptors, you know, the so-called serotonin 2A receptors. And they they all interact with that, and and in my uh, as a pharmacologist, I say that that by definition psychedelics have to be uh, serotonin two A agonists. But then the differences in structure, the different ways that you know that they're absorbed and, and excreted, and so on, other factors make for the difference in the activity, uh, you know, apparent activity. That said, I do think I, I don't think you can say the the phenethylamines are uh, you know less profound. I think again the variables are so many complex, you know, because there are so many external variables set and setting all of these things. You can have profound experiences on phenethylamines. The tryptamines just seem to lend themselves more easily, at least in my experience, to those types of experiences. I sometimes talk about, you know, the tryptamine dimension in a certain way. And I, I don't know if I mean that as a place necessarily, but, but, you know, there's a certain commonality between ayahuasca, which is DMT orally activated between psilocybin, which you can think of as a oral form of DMT, basically, it's it's a tryptamine, uh, and the the simple uh, tryptamines like DMT and 5-methoxy DMT, which are quite different if you if you take them without an MAO inhibitor, if you take them by smoking or so on, but you take a few of these things, you recognize there's a commonality of experience that I would characterize as the tryptamine dimension or the tryptamine character. Uh, 
but you know, everybody's different. And I would not say that phenethylamines are not able to produce profound experiences. Oh, wow. So much is depends on the individual, you know, and we're all, and the circumstances and, and, you know, we're all, uh, biochemically unique you right. know that's one of the beauties of i guess being being a biological entity you know your trip is not my trip you know, <laughs> and it ne- never will be and you should probably be happy about that <laughs> well another question is is that uh during your i believe it was your law carrera experience which we didn't really talk about but that's okay we we'll talk about so much we there'll be other episodes but there was a sound that you felt would free us all what do you think that sound sounds like i think he's talking about the esr resonation but what do you think about that i don't know what to think about it now uh there was a sound that we could hear on high doses of uh mushrooms an internal sound and you can hear the same thing on dmt there's a lot of internal auditory stuff. At Lachurera, we speculated that this was the electron spin resonance of the tryptamines binding into these receptor sites, which we postulated were uh, uh, was actually DNA in the neurons, in the, uh. in the postsynaptic neuron. That's all bunk, it turns out. <laughs> that was a complete delusion. The sounds were real, but what they are, I have no idea. Uh, and I, I I tend to not discuss the experiment at La Chirera so much anymore because I've been well, you you've know, grown so about much. It a lot. We did a we did a retrospective on Yeah, the fiftieth anniversary. Yeah, on the Academy and that's like, okay, enough of this. <laughs> Yeah, you know, for sure. And it's all out there. Anybody can find out about this. It's, it's all out there. Uh, if people want to pursue it. Another can, question we have is, do, do you do you still think there are insect anthropologists studying the human race? <laughs> insect anthropologists? Yes, yeah, someone claimed uh, that you thought that at one point that uh, insect anthropologists were studying the human race from some outer dimension. Who knows? Maybe, <laughs> maybe not. I mean, yeah, again, at Lutcher, we had this, uh, you know, this idea that the experiences we were having were and a lot of what was being downloaded to us was coming f- that not was that the channels, the mushrooms were uh, a channel for that and that it was coming from um, some extraterrestrial or extra dimensional entity, which, you know, we visualized in our you know we visualized as you know some kind of mantid type entity looking like a prey mantis which you have to admit they look pretty darn weird many people know? have and seen that including myself many people see it yes but then many people have read terence and dennis mckenna so what's their <laughs> how much are they <laughs> Influence. That's I a mean, very I good hope point. There are ins- I hope there are insect anthropologists studying it, <laughs> uh, but I have no idea. Okay, you know, well, I really have no idea. Do you still, Dennis? Do you still consider the invisible landscape to be your magnum opus, or is it now Bl- Brotherhood of the Screaming Abyss, or even your psilocybin book that you published under the pseudonyms? 
Well, I think the psilocybin book, in terms of its actual impact on society, is by far the most important thing okay. that Terrence and I ever published because that that was there's nothing supernatural or theoretical about it. It was a very simple technique yeah. that anyone could do, and then they could grow mushrooms and have these experiences. You know, and, and we were motivated in part, mostly actually, by the impulse to get this out there to give people the tools to grow mushrooms so that they could confirm that these bizarre experiences we were having were just that or or not, you know. So and and that's really what brought mushrooms and psychedelics in general to the to the wider world. Oh definitely. You know, so I think in terms of its actual impact on human society, possibly even on evolution or whatever. Definitely. The mush mushroom book was the most important. So the, was it your will or the mushrooms will that Im- made you write that book? Or do you, is it both a symbiotic relationship between well, I both? I think it's both. It's, <laughs> it, it really is. It was a symbiotic relationship. And once we knew how to do it, we wanted to share that information with people. And, and we did. So that had a big influence. The, oh, definitely. The, the invisible landscape. Uh, I don't regard this by as our magnum opus necessarily because knowing what we know now versus what we knew when we wrote it, I mean, honestly, a lot of it is bunk, you know, I'm, okay. I mean, I'm sorry, but a no, lot it's of good it for people bunk. to know that let's get that information out yeah, there. It's good for yeah. people to I know mean, that it's a very peculiar piece. I don't want to discourage people from, from reading it. I think it's just historically, it's very interesting. There's really nothing like it, you know, so people should read it, but they should take it with a huge grain of salt, you know, and just read it for the appreciation of its historical uh, context, of how bloody deluded we were. You know, <laughs> I mean, you, 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 you can, you can read it from that perspective. And as far as the, uh, the Brotherhood of the Screaming Abyss. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if. Uh, I don't know if I can call it my. <clears throat> excuse me, my magnum opus. But it's just my story. Yes, you know, it's it's just my story uh, about my life and growing up with Terrence and and this. Yeah, it's this an incredible journey book. that we shared for for so long and and in some ways still share, you know, I mean, Terrence is gone from the physical plane, but he's still very much in the conversation. He's achieved this odd kind of immortality. He's become this avatar on the web. Right. Even though what he, what he talked about was, uh, you know, 20 years ago, or, or now more than that, you know, he was his his he was most most famous, most most well known in the '90s. So we're talking 30 years ago. Oh, he's still huge now. I mean, and you're he's huge. Still huge. The, the McKenna family huge. is huge. Yeah, and and so many people have have told me, you know, I mean, students and so on who have told me, you know, Terrence was such a profound influence. Everything I know, I learned from him, and so on. 
these people were in diapers when Terrence was at the top of his game, you know? So, <laughs> so it's had that historical impact and, and that's great. Well, know? it's, I mean, it's had that, a huge impact. I, I don't want to discredit any yeah, of it. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's incredible. And I was just wondering, have you ever heard Jerry Garcia's 62nd review of the invisible landscape? I think I have. Yeah. Okay. Because but, I was going to play it for you right now. If you haven't heard it, would you like to hear it? Sure. I'd Here like we go. To hear it. We got to bring I Jerry. I have heard it, but we, I'm not sure what he, I don't remember. What let, he let's hear what Jerry Garcia says. Here we go. Okay. What kind of stuff have you been into lately as far as that? Ideas? Yeah. Staying you know, away. Space. Oh, there's a, there's a fantastic book called The Invisible Landscape that anybody who wants to have their brain turned inside out should read. That, that, that uh, it's by uh, the McKenna brothers, guys. who uh, are uh, Terrence and Dennis McKenna, who are a pair of scientists, uh, uh, ethnobotanists, uh, anthropologists, uh, mathematicians. The, the physics, physics, physics <laughs> And in the book, they propose a theory, uh, like a holographic theory of mind in the universe. Uh, they talk about uh, the way the mechanical an electromagnetic way that uh, psychedelics affect the mind and the DNA and RNA specifically. <laughs> I believe and that. The thing with the RNA, the filtering mechanism. Right. Yeah. Then they I talk about uh, a time map, which is described by the I Ching as a calendrical system. Uh, the subtitle of the book is Mind Hallucinogens and the I Ching. And it's uh. a fantastic <laughs> book. So there you go. That was well, Jerry. That was <laughs> a, yeah, uh, I remember... You know, the interesting thing is, I mean, is that actually Jerry understood the invisible landscape, you know, as much as it was, you know, bunk and this wild speculation and so on. But he got it. Yes. I mean, he, he was actually, I think, Jerry, I don't think people understood. This guy was a profound intellectual. Oh, he was a know? genius in many ways. Yeah. And. And he read it and he got it, you know. Well, and, how does it uh, feel to affect people like that who then affected millions of people? Of course, your information and Terrence's information affected probably hundreds of millions, maybe a billion people or more. But so has Jerry Garcia's music. He was the soundtrack of that experience. Absolutely. And, and how does it absolutely. feel as just like a, a person, a human to have this information that affects so many people? What does that feel like? Well, you know, I don't think about it too much. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't think of myself in that way. No, you know, but I, it is I mean, interesting. I, I, I may have had the influence. I don't think, I don't think Jerry Garcia went around telling himself, you know, you, you've your cultural influence on billions of people. I don't think he bothered. He just did what he was doing. He was doing his creative thing, and I, I'm kind of the same way. And you know, when it comes down to it. Jake, I'm just another curious monkey that's yes. trying to figure this thing out. You know, I don't have any inside track <laughs> on the truth at all. And, and I, you know, I I, 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 I don't pretend to. I don't have any secret or, you know what I'm saying? I'm right. just, uh, I'm, I'm just. You are just a psycho, not just like everyone else. A cosmic trying, explorer. Yeah, but but thinking about it and trying to figure out what what it was what it was made me about, which is what all all that any of us can do at any time is, you know, and, and that's that's our life's quest, you know. I mean curiosity. I've always had curiosity 
And that's, that's a good trait, I think. I mean, curiosity is what drives science. It's what drives discovery and so on. And that's mainly what we are. If we were not curious, if we weren't curious monkeys, we would never have gotten anywhere, you know? And maybe the earth would have been better off if we hadn't been, but that's not the way it's turned out. So, so here we are. Well, you know? humans, if, if you kind of look at humans as kind of, I don't want to, it's a kind of a terrible metaphor, but the, like a stock or something like, you know, our, our values going up, we're doing good. And the best of us are incredible. The best of humanity are absolutely incredible manifestors with incredible psychic gifts. Like the best of humanity is, is incredible. And then of course the worst of us is, the most abominous shit you can possibly imagine. But but because that best of us exists, it kind of proves that we can make it. There is a frequency of love, an energy behind all that, that is propelling us forward. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a two edged sword. Exactly. I mean, there are really terrible people in the world, really, uh, brilliant people who are trying to, uh, you know, trying to advance things. And most of us are somewhere in between that, you know. I mean, I sometimes say we're we're halfway on our evolutionary journey from apes to angels. Wow. You know, we're about halfway there. Wow. <laughs> you I, I, know, we're most of, we're about halfway there. We haven't reached it yet, but we're, keep, keep trying. You know, I made That's the same the joke. I, instead of angels, I said, Star Trek. I said, we're halfway between caveman and Star Trek, but angels is a there way better, a way better thing to aspire to. I think. Yeah. Apart from all the religious connotations, but angels to me implies, you know, a super advanced human state in a certain way. And we're getting there. We have to have faith that we're evolving in that way. And the, and the whole thing is, can we keep it together until we reach that point? Because right now, you know, uh, the the whole uh, enterprise is in danger of collapsing <laughs> and falling apart, you know. But I, I don't know, Jake, I think I'm going to have to stop because I'm losing my voice here. Oh, no. I, uh, <laughs> I wanted to tell people really quick that I'm so sorry this is happening, but I want to tell people really quick about where to find you. Of course, you can go to McKenna.academy. And that is where you can find the McKenna Academy of Natural Philosophy. We talked about how it's a modern mystery school. It's the culmination of Dennis's knowledge. He's coalescing that in a virtual form and and putting it out there for people with other humans, of course. They're contributing their energy to get this academy off the ground. And I really appreciate you being with us, Dennis. I'm sorry your voice is failing, but there's so much for us to talk about. (laughs) Hopefully we can do it again. There's more to talk about. I do want to put a shout out to the wonderful people I get to work with on the McKenna Academy. It's not about me. It's about this collective group of uh, really brilliant, creative people. And it's a pleasure to work with them. I should mention, I mean, shameless self-promotion here, but uh, we are a nonprofit. We can accept donations that are tax deductible. And uh, we're in the middle of a fundraising campaign. So if people feel moved to uh, to donate uh, and support our work, uh, we appreciate that. And actually, if you go to the website, the first thing you're going to get slapped in the face with is, you know, uh, a, a page to donate, which you can just dismiss. I, I don't I kind of don't like it. I didn't 
I don't kind of don't like it that that's the first thing you see, but we, we do need support. Yes. And, uh, and if you get past that, there's a lot of good stuff on that website, you know, past events, resources, my blog, which people like, uh, just a bunch of things. And, and they can sign up, they can sign up for our newsletter and that's sort of thing to keep in the loop about uh, upcoming events. We've got a number of things happening in addition. I mentioned the ethnobotany course. Yes, I was going to say there's a special right now on the ethnobotany course, which closes on September 15th. This episode is going to be debut September 9th. So there is time to get in on this and go check that out. The 13th. Yes. The 13th. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. So this closes on the 13th. Later this year, we have a, uh, we have a, uh, uh, we we have a symposium planned on the stone date theory, which we're going to probably October, November sometime. And then if you look at the website, we've got some other projects going on. We've got a documentary project in Peru that's going to be pretty interesting. We're just starting filming on that. So that's going to be so we're just trying to, you know, fulfill our mission. And a lot of our mission is education. I mean, that as an account any good academy should do education so that's what we're that's what we're shooting for dennis i really appreciate you being on the show thank you so much we have to have you back on i feel like a person like me and you we could talk for hours and hours and hours but at the very least we got to have you back on at some time in the next six months or year or so so we can talk again about all these fantastic things and of course he has books that you can check out the brotherhood of the screaming abyss the psilocybin book which is still in print the invisible landscape is uh still available still in print yes so you can go check out these books dennis thank you so much for being here everyone we'll see you next week this is just such a heady conversation it's mind-blowing it's outside of time and space we'll see you next week okay jake thanks so much Uh, real pleasure uh i look forward to circling back We'll revisit this in a year or so and see where we're at. That will be an amazing day. Thank you, Dennis. Midnight on Earth, y'all.